Not on you. You don't have to kiss my ass yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, okay, I'm just going to do a quick intro. Okay. Uh, what's up, people? We are back for another episode of the Rudynomics Podcast. Rudynomics? Yeah, Not Rudy- Rudynomics. Rudynomics, okay. Yeah. It's like economics. Like, like economics, Rudynomics? Okay. Yeah, but we do the, uh, the building of comedy here. Okay. Because we're all still working on barely getting started. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a little name put together. <laughs> Um, this episode, uh, again, is brought to you by Hempies, um, Hempies Emporium. You can find them on Instagram at Hempies Emporium, something like that. I need to, I haven't written a script for it yet. Yeah. I still need to talk to the Hempies people and we need to write me a script. Um, but for now, I'm just mentioning that they're my, uh, sponsors and, uh, they're here in Arlington and, uh, it's a good place to get some, uh, stuff. You know, just just put two and two together, hempies. Uh, what are they? Smoke shop. There you go. It's a smoke shop. Um, <clears throat> okay, anyway, I, and I've, as soon as you do that, okay, yeah, I've got a good starter based on that. So go ahead. So and you'll do that, and then you'll. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, also, you know, brought to you by the Anchor app, and then follow the Instagram at Rudynomics and Facebook is Rudy Ramsey Comedy. Um, and we are here with Rob Ross. Okay. What's up, Rob? Have we actually started? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know we'd actually started. So you did the hippies, and then you have a guy on your program that looks like a cop. This is... <laughs> yeah, is people, really people probably be thinking, like, oh, no, he finally busted. I say, you yeah, came with a server warrant. Hey, while you're doing this, why don't you just come in and just, just do sit the... Down. Yeah, just, yeah. just do the show while we're here just and everything. Do the show. So, How you doing, so, Rob? I get to be with you tonight. How much better can life be? Mm. I get to be on the Rudynomics podcast. You know that there are... 700,000 podcasts now. I don't know if the United States are worldwide, and I looked you up. 699,681st. You're moving up the list. Oh, really? Yeah, you're moving up the list. I didn't know they had a number on yeah, that. Yeah, you, you well, it's like, for example, President of the United States, then the Vice President is first in line to the presidency, right? Yeah. And then the Speaker of the House is second in the line. Yeah. Uh, President Pro Tem of the Senate is third in line. I found out I'm 13,927,331st in line to the presidency. Yeah. What there's are you doing, Rob? What are you... I mean, I mean, well, there's a lot of people in front of me, mm-hmm. but, you know, if I just get them out of the way, I can move my way up and, and, and help control this country. And so, all what you're basically saying is that you're going to figure out a way to how to get rid of how many thousand? 13? No, it's 13 million. I'm 13, way, 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 way back in the line. You're figure out how to yeah. get rid of 13 million people. Well, I, I'm not saying I'm trying to figure out. I'm just saying I'm you got to have goals. I think that's what you said. No, you have to have goals. Goal so, get I'm getting them, there. I'm I used to be 54th million. Now I'm in the 13 million. So you've that. already killed 30 million no, people. No, I have not killed them. It's just, <laughs> just by attrition. Things happen naturally. At least that's what the mob guys told me. <coughs> so, mm-hmm. And all that. So now tell me, how long have you been doing comedy? I've been doing comedy for almost two years now. Okay, yeah. So I started uh, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I did is I just wanted to... I was involved with the church for about 35 years. And there really wasn't an opportunity... Uh, for me to like to speak yeah. or to go out. So I'd always want to do comedy. I'd actually grown up watching Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. especially the monologue. Johnny Carson. And yeah, on the Tonight Show. He was on from like 64 to 91. Then Jay Leno took it over from 91 like a few years ago. And 
So I always wanted to do that, and so I started doing the Hyenas Club in Arlington, and within about nine months, ended up with my own show, because as you know, I'd only do clean comedy, mm -hmm. and so uh, people ask me if I ever do you know, any kind of penis jokes or dick jokes, and I say, you know, my first name is Richard, so I think that's the only dick joke I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I was doing it for about six or nine months, and Gary Hood was the manager at the Arlington Hyenas. Now, Gary Hood had had been a traveling headlining comedian. Uh, he knew like Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. He had actually been on, uh, he'd been nominated twice for Emmys, two or three times for Emmys, and extremely talented guy mm -hmm. uh, as far as doing comedy. And so after I'd been there about six or nine months, he, I, I went to him one night and said, do you want my phone number? And he said, why? And I said, well, you might need a comedian. Ha, 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 ha. And he goes, yeah, 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 I'll call you sometime. Yeah. A week later, during the middle of the week, it was a Thursday, I started getting frantic calls from other comedians that Gary's looking for you. Now, at this time, you have to understand Gary, <coughs> big guy, had called, and he was going through cancer treatments. Oh, no. But Gary would not only do the prescribed medication, Gary prescribed his own medications, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, so I he could mean. be very bipolar. He could be your nicest friend of the world, or he could just be, you know, very, very hacked off about anything. He could just set him off. And yeah. even the like the song selection. For that a reminds show. me setting it off. Reminds me to make sure my volume's off. Yes, it is. Okay. And so he, and so what happened was he called me, and yeah. so I called him, and he said, "Okay, here's the deal. It's a Thursday," and he said, "Here's my issue." He, he said, "We have a corporate show for Lockheed Martin at the University of Texas in Arlington, mm -hmm. the Rosebud Theater, which I've been one time when I went mm -hmm. there. I used to go there, and I actually saw a comedian perform there." And he said, "Here's the quandary." He said, our headliner, Hyena's number one corporate comedian, who's, this is for Saturday morning, this is Thursday afternoon, he's, he said his appendix just exploded. Oh, he's shit. not going to be able to attend the event. <laughs> no, he's not. And he said, everyone else I know is down in San Antonio trying out for Last Comic Standing. Because Last Comic Standing, I had friends call me, hey, just come down, I'll save you a place in line, just get here. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to do that right now. Yeah. And, uh, and so this is, what, this is what Gary said. He goes, so I have three names on my list. And he goes, Rob, you're last on the list. No oh, shit. I was the last guy he was going to call for this gig. <laughs> I literally, he told me that you were the last on the list. If, I didn't, if he couldn't get me to do it, then yeah. if I wasn't available. And I said, if you can just get me a podium, I can do 45 minutes. It has to be clean. It's a corporate event. And so we arranged it. He opened for me, did like 15 minutes clean, which is about all the clean material he had. Mm -hmm. And I had graduated from University of Texas Arlington. And so I graduated. So the engineering school, even when I was there, about 60% were people that were not American. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that I've lived in India. I actually mm -hmm. did mission work, lived in India. Oh, about that, was that cool. in a second. Yeah. And, uh, and so most of the people in there were Indian. So I was able to talk to them because I've been a student there. I was doing comedy. I'd actually lived in India. And actually, I'd lived in India longer than a lot of them had ever been in India. Mm. And uh, it was just one of those magic moments in time to where the set worked. They laughed. It was great. Maybe because the event itself was so boring that just anything was better than nothing. And yeah. Gary had set it up. But just hit it out of the park. And I was smart enough and mature enough in life to know I didn't go to Gary and go, how'd I do, how'd I do, how'd I do, how'd I do, you know? I just, just hey, thanked him. It was, not, it was narcotic. If you've ever done a set in front of 400 people in a packed room and you hit it, 
you understand now why comedians back in like the eighties and nineties got on cocaine because what they do, they do a show. <laughs> they would hit, they hit it. And I'm talking about you. You that should no, be doing cocaine I know. before I, your I've, podcast. I've, I've heard you didn't get that in hippies, no. did you? <laughs> I've so, heard ton, tons of uh, stuff about that. Yeah, and so what happens is you're on this high. It's 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 narcotic. Mm-hmm. The only way I can describe it's narcotic. You're on this high because people have enjoyed. You brought joy to their life. What you have worked on for years and years and years, and all the dead open mics and failures, mm-hmm. and you know hecklers and everything else, it all comes together in this magic moment. And so two days later, Gary called me and said, "Look, you know, comedy clubs booked on." Ah, I grabbed the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna watch you bite the cork off. Um, <laughs> comedy club is uh, booked obviously Friday, Saturday nights. But what can we do on Thursdays or Sundays? And so I actually started doing a clean comedy mm-hmm. show at the Hyenas Clubs in Arlington. So people, mm-hmm. so the regular comedians would come and they just do a clean set. Because one of the people's complaints is they'll come see a show and they'll go, man, was great, but that guy was, you know, the feature act of the open was so filthy. And so they go, well, we have a clean show, you know, once a month. And so people like Raj Sharma, Paul Varghese, uh, Billy McFarland did all my mm-hmm. shows, Tom Davenport, people are traveling, worldwide comedians would come in and do the show. So it was a real neat experience. So I did that for about five years, doing clean shows, and then I go churches, charities, corporate, comedy clubs, basically anything that begins with a C. Yeah. I ended up doing those, <laughs> those events. And then laid out uh, for about five or six years to grow my business. I'm a commodity trading advisor. I actually manage money for a living, and I'm a computer programmer, application yeah. developer. And so then uh, when I got to the business to a certain point, I came back about two years ago, back, basically back when he started, mm-hmm. and uh, started doing comedy games. There's something that bites you. You always love it. just needs to get up on stage and to work on original stuff that works and all that. So you talk about like living in India. Uh, one of the things that in India, very different culture, like for example, they don't have toilets over there. No, no, it, I hear they just have holes. It's a, it's, it was, I lived in a middle-class home, which means it was a concrete floor, mm-hmm. rebar for the windows. There mm-hmm. was no glass, no central heat and air. The oven was literally a wood stove. You'd have to start wood hours. Everybody slept on the floor except me, and I had a little two-inch mat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and literally, it was just a porcelain hole in the floor that when you're done in the business, you poured water down. That's how you flushed it. How old were you at this time? Uh, probably about 21, 22. 21, 22? Yeah. So you started doing, like... Was this, is this church related? Like yeah, it was, well, it wasn't with the church. I had met the guy at a conference, and then he came and spoke. Two months later, the same guy, I'd spent a day or two with him at a conference, lost contact, and he's a, he's a guy from India, and he had traveled the world twice with no money. Actually mm-hmm. gone through the underground churches uh, throughout certain certain countries, and and he uh, uh, came came to me, and uh, he came to my the Bible college I was at. I'm a Bible college dropout. Mm-hmm. So it means basically we made I made it to Ezekiel. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you, know. you ever see at the grocery store, like at Whole Foods or Central Market, they have Ezekiel bread? You ever see if they actually have Ezekiel? I don't, I don't know if I have or not. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Ezekiel bread, the official bread of God's wrath. Um, is that really the logo? Or are you joking? I can't tell. I'm a sometimes. comedian, yeah, man. Come still. on, that's, that's, that's going to be the thing you're going to know here. Am I telling the truth? I know, but what it has to do with church and bread, so, I don't know, so, man. Did you you ever take, take communion? You guys take that? No, you're drinking wine right now. You might as well just go ahead and get yourself some bread. We'll just do communion right now for oh you. Do goodness. the body I'm of Christ. I'm going to come out of this baptized okay, so or something. The only problem is I don't think the body of Christ only had white blood cells. Looking at what you're drinking yeah. there, so so uh, so uh, living in. India, one of the things is they'll do the red beauty mm-hmm. mark. You know, they'll do the red mark there. And so, uh, I'm not Hindu. And when I was there, it was 82% of the population in India is Hindu. It's about 15% Muslim. Only 2% is Christian. Mm-hmm. 
And so one morning I cut myself shaving. And, you know, it's one of those cuts, just that kind of blotch cut. It's not yeah. a state, it's a blotch cut. And you're sitting there trying to make it, you know, you're holding it down. And, and this big old red blotch, and the only problem is, is I look like a Hindu with bad motor skills. Oh, okay. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. So, uh... <laughs> So did that, uh, and and doing comedy, like I said, I've done church shows, I've done dinner shows, dinner yeah. theater stuff, and you learn you learn a lot about it, and you learn, and you know the thing is, a comedian, you're always looking, you're mm-hmm. just you're just always looking for material, you're just always looking for stuff. I mean, yeah, man, I feel that way. Uh, you know, I didn't know if I was going to make it here this week, actually, because my uh, mother-in-law had exploratory surgery. What? And uh, yeah, and you know exploratory because they're trying to find out, you know. Yeah, so it was, us. it was really. I, I, so I, that's why I said that we kind of had to do this at the last minute. So it was a uh, six specialists, twelve nurses. Yeah. It took nineteen hours, but they finally found it. What was the issue? Uh, they found her heart. I knew it was there deep down inside oh, somewhere. <laughs> and this is your mom or mother-in-law? Mother-in-law. Okay, I was about to say, no wonder. Mother-in-law. Yeah, I knew, I knew it was deep down in, in there. there somewhere. Uh-huh. You know, you could grab it and pull it out. Were, and all you, that. were you worried that the cameras weren't going to get small enough to detect it? <laughs> so I was worried for her. Was I the tiniest was, camera you I had. knew, I knew it was deep down. It was in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. It would get it and all that. So, but then you know, you look at different religious beliefs. And so some people have, for example, they believe in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. So I think what should happen to like the leaders, like the Ayatollahs over in Iran, is I think they should come back as a Jewish woman under their own regime. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think that would just kind of be justice, you know. I think, you know, if reincarnation is true, my, uh, my mother-in-law would come back as a yak. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother-in-law would come back as a sponge or drug-sniffing dog. My I mean, sponge is still a living cell, right? And still <laughs> yeah, a living and, yeah, well, yes, so is my ex-brother-in-law. It's still a living cell. <laughs> He's a sponge, though. You know, or he come back as a drug sniffing dog. Oh man, what what? <laughs> I don't know if if you're like just making jokes about your your in laws, or or if they're just really a handful that you're just like ah, just gonna take my chance and make a couple jokes about them while I can. But uh, <laughs> well, you know, part of the thing of Sounds comedy like is uh-huh. is talking about stuff that people relate to. So mm-hmm. I have like the one routine I have on the internet. Is one that was shot ten years ago in front of like a church group or whatever. It didn't matter what group it was. It's a ger- it was what you consider a generic routine. You could do mm-hmm. it in a comedy club. You could do it in a church group. You could do it, you know, at a corporate event. You could do it at a charity event. And I used to talk about how uh, TV dinners mm-hmm. and how you prepare TV dinners. Now you probably don't know this, but because you probably have grown up on microwave dinners. Uh, well, not really. Have you ever had the traditional TV? I mean, dinner? I've had them only because I moved out of my mom's house and I had wasn't. Didn't know how to cook. Okay, so the tradition because I grew up not no one cooked in my home. Okay, TV dinner is is the oven one, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, so you know people nowadays, I mean, they have it so easy. I mean, literally, you get a microwave dinner, pop a couple of holes, stick in them for six minutes, let it cool for three. You're right. Okay, that's not how it was when I was growing up. No. When I was growing up, you'd be starving. You come home, the only thing there were TV dinners, Swanson's. TV dinners, four for a dollar. <laughs> this is this is value here, baby. You either got the meatloaf or the turkey and dressing one. Yeah. And so, the top of it would have cardboard, would have the instructions, and then on the flip side of it, it actually had a family sitting around eating this TV dinner. 
They could be camping. On the inside of it? Yeah, on the, no, like you had the cardboard top. Yeah. It, was, it was all foil. It had a foil yeah. top, but they had the cardboard on top that had the instructions and advertised mm -hmm. Swanson's. So you could see how you had to preheat, how long, and all that. But if you popped open the other end of it, you could actually set it up and prop it up on your TV dinner mm -hmm. and eat dinner with this family. Because you're home alone, so you're eating with your oh, TV dinner family, who, of course, they're at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> on a beautiful camping thing you'd love to be on, but they're all eating TV dinners. How in the hell did they cook this stuff out it's, here? It's like a, like a little flip book almost. So, what, yeah. so basically, the TV mm. dinner came in this foil container. Mm. And so you came home and you're starving. So let's say it's 8.30, you work double shift, you're starving, you just want to eat and go to bed. Could you eat it? No. You have to preheat the oven. Yeah, it takes forever. So to you have to preheat, and it's like 365 for 55 minutes. So you could watch like MacGyver. Okay, <laughs> and then are you ready to eat? No, it's still frozen. So then you put it in for another forty-five to fifty-five minutes. Uh -huh. Okay, so now you know you can watch Matlock. Yeah. All right. Then you pull it out. Is it ready to eat? No, it's not because it had this apple strudel dessert. Yeah. And what it did is you peeled off the foil in the middle uh -huh. and then put it back in for another 12 to 15 minutes for that apple dessert to turn golden brown. You can now start watching Survivor. Oh and then <laughs> when it was done, was it ready to eat? No. You had to go cool it off. Well, when I was growing up, no one had granite and marble. No. I mean, I didn't know anybody had granite and marble. So you had to find a place to put it. Well, there's always that one place your brother had put a previous TV dinner on the Formica. So there's yeah. like a CSI crime scene of a TV dinner that burned <laughs> into. So then that became the designated place to put your TV dinner. Yeah. You know, to cool there. And so now you can start watching American Idol. Why it cooled off and everything. <laughs> so you've got all your bit. You can watch five episodes of Breaking Bad. They're cooking meth. You're cooking your, your TV, your TV dinner, dinner there. Okay, now. And then you can eat. It's like three hours later. And then you you keep the you get the cardboard, and then you sit down and you have dinner with your cardboard family because mm -hmm. your family's gone. So this is your you know your it's cardboard dad, back then, uh, your college your cardboard mom, your cardboard dad. Of course, their cardboard Buffy and Biff. You know, mm -hmm. so like, there's always a white family. It was never it was never any ethnic diversity. <laughs> Not back even then. even the Mexican food TV dinner had white people. I mean, that's how bad the market it was at the time. It was, now, uh, yeah. you can speed up the process, though. You're starving. Mm -hmm. Turn on the oven, 600 degrees. Might as well self-clean while you cook this thing. Mm -hmm. You just throw the TV dinner in there. One hour later, you can pop it. You can pull it out. And the top crust is just this carbon sheet, mm -hmm. black. And you can pop that off, and then you could scrape the innards and eat it because it's cooked at 600 degrees. Yeah. So the outside's burnt. And then that apple strudel dessert is a glowing plutonium brick. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you could either burn up the neighborhood or power the house for a few days on it. Oh, my goodness. So what is your generation going to tell my generation? <laughs> I had a cross. <laughs> I didn't have a flat panel TV till I was 11. <laughs> and it only had 500 channels. You don't even know how rough it took six minutes to cook a TV dinner. You just don't even realize how hard I had it. Yeah, no, I mean, no. Um... No, I mean our generation, my generation. Yeah, it wasn't that tough yeah, to 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 be living on stuff. Well, a lot of it, you know, ramen started getting real big, and that's what we lived off of ramen. And then me, because me, I was an alcoholic when I was in my twenties. A ramen and uh, forty ounces of malt liquor, <laughs> fucking a dollar dollar forty nine at the gas station. Me and me and my my cousin, my brother, my other cousin, 
we'd all move into whoever got the apartment. <coughs> now, you know, because for years and years and years, I've heard people talk about how cheap ramen noodles were. Mm-hmm. That you just that you survived off that. Now I go by places and there's restaurants. Mm-hmm. They're like ramen noodle restaurants. Yeah. Like, now, how does that make you feel going, that's a poor man's food? <laughs> is that going to the poor folks or some kind of place that just, you know, you know what I mean? It's, well, it's, yeah. Those, I mean, I know those ramens are, are like more like homemade version of it. But, I mean, technically it's still ramen noodles. still ramen noodles, yeah. <clears throat> and my girlfriend, you know, she's a Miss Hipster, young, and, you know, early 20s, mid-20s, I think now. Yeah. Um, uh, she was like, let's go have so ramen. She's, so she's hipster. How many tattoos does she have? She actually doesn't have any tattoos. Really? Mm-hmm. See, I'm going to get a tattoo. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a tattoo mm-hmm. of an Easter egg. Okay. One Easter egg. And then I'm going to tell the tattoo artist to hide it. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'll let you know when my wife finds me. <laughs> <laughs> so show oh, you how much she likes me. So. Excuse me. Oh my goodness sakes! Did you kill oh, that, yeah. or that picked up on the podcast? No, I I, I burp on the podcast. <laughs> wow! You do, I hope you don't do other things on the podcast. It get really gross really quick here. So talking about having uh, to clean up the place. Mm. Oh no! I, no, I love doing comedy. Uh, I'm I'm thankful for like the highness clubs in the area mm-hmm. and the other clubs. Are very, you know, back in the day, I had comedians telling me that in the Dallas Fort Worth area, at one time there was like 13 or 15 different comedy clubs, mm-hmm. and they had one guy told me. They would compete on the open mics. Like he said, there was a $500 winner-take-all open mics. Yeah. So, of course, they charge tickets. So the key is you get 40 of your friends showing up, each mm-hmm. paying 10 bucks. You win the contest because they all pay. They all, you know, yeah. it's kind of like your friend. Could, could have been cheaper for them just to hand you the money. Yeah. You know, probably. they hand you half the money. And uh, But he said, you know, one time, this is as comedy really took off, I guess, with Seinfeld in the late. 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. he said there were just tons of comedy clubs. So it's pretty amazing to have what we have in the area that's, you know, survived and thrived. We got, I think, six, six clubs we can perform at, and then, you know, how many open mics that people run and do and do a good job at. And so, so it seems like you're getting pretty up there in the comedy uh, life. What, uh, what made you kind of slow down? And back well, I mean, it's not it. like I made a living. Anything you do that you don't make a living at is called a hobby. So mm-hmm. I do get, like, for example, I got flown to a corporate event. Uh, up in Denver earlier this year, and part of it has to do is how you know do I want to be on the road forty six weeks out of the year? I have a wife, and you know I have four kids, one of each, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll give you a second on that one. Yeah, I'm letting, I was about you, to say, I mean, you, I'm letting you figure that out. What so do you mean that, one of each? Yeah, you have like a cat and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so some hybrids and all that. And so uh, at that time, I didn't want to. My wife asked me, do you want to do this? I mean, is this, and I said, I want to do it, and I just want to get good at it. Mm-hmm. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, you want to be so good, people can't ignore you. And so part of, I think part of the, my issue is, is I've never found my voice on stage. I'm a little bit more of my voice here. Because mm-hmm. you know, on stage, you know, when we get five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen. Uh, I got to open for Matt Eisman last year. So Matt Eisman was the last guy to win Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah. So when Arnold Schwarzenegger took over Celebrity Apprentice from Donald Trump, uh, and he's also one of the two hosts of American Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. And so I opened for him, and that was really cool to see a guy who does it week in and week out, and then he does American Ninja Warrior, and this is what he, he does. He's in the entertainment industry and all mm-hmm. that. But, you know, I'm an application duo for computer programmer, and I manage money for a living. And so I've been, so the comedy's helped me then. Like, I'll tell you how comedy helps you. And just speaking, uh, first time I went to a conference, it was at the Ritz Carlton in uh, 
place called Key Biscayne, Florida. I couldn't even afford to park there. It was like $30 a day for parking. This really? is about $10. So I finally found one parking space there underneath the coconut tree, hoping to God that my rent car didn't get hit with coconuts. Yeah. I'd have to explain that. And uh, so I go into the conference, and I actually had met some J.P. Morgan guys at a previous conference, and they said, look, you can use our extra room over here. Well, then I had another guy send me the list of all the attendees for this conference. Now, I couldn't afford the $3,000 for this conference, mm -hmm. but I could go to the hotel, and somebody was letting me use their official meeting rooms. And I'd say, hey, I'll be in the J.P. Morgan meeting rooms. And then somebody else sent me the entire attendee list with phone numbers and emails. And so I had meetings scheduled for the whole two days yeah so i get there for the first meeting is with a company that at that time was called new edge and it was a big deal in my industry and so I thought, wow i'm going to meet with the new edge guys and all that so i'm trying to get allocations to manage capital because mm -hmm. i manage money for people and uh so the guy said yeah i'll meet you there and all that so we go and i find the guy and so i'm sitting here thinking it's going to be a sit down like you and me right mm -hmm. now we're just going to sit down and just hey explain what you're doing with your business where you want to go you know what kind of investing you do what markets you trade and that type of thing so i don't do stock market stuff i do commodities so it's like okay. crude oil and soybeans and frozen concentrated orange juice and euro futures and that type of thing and and uh and so i'm following them to sit down and we go into this room and next thing i know there's like eight people at this big round ta eight or ten or twelve people at this big round table <laughs> Yeah. All sitting there and go, okay, well, we've got our first guy here, Rob Ross, why didn't you trading company, to do his presentation. Did you, did you think you were going to do a presentation? No! I was meeting. The guy said, let's meet. So I walk in, and he goes, give us your presentation. Well, first of all, a couple things. About two weeks before that, I had, always had these great dogs. So I had an English Springer Spaniel that looked like a show dog, and then I had an Australian Shepherd, which are uh -huh. just awesome dogs. They're really super smart, very... You know, they, they're real protective of kids, but they don't attack people, mm -hmm. you know, but they'll, they're, they're herding dogs. They're, they're, they're shepherding dogs, and they're just awesome. If you ever choose a dog, get Australian Shepherd's like one of your top on the list. Well, mm -hmm. I was playing with him, and, and he'd be biting at me and stuff. Well, he accidentally broke my thumbnail. And so oh, my thumbnail had grown in black. Well, at that time, gothic stuff was red where people would paint, like yeah, one, yeah. guys would paint one nail black. So I had to wear a Band-Aid over my things. I didn't want these New Edge guys managing billions of dollars to have the hipster, you know, gothic guy with the black thumb and everything. And then so I had this big Band-Aid over my thumb. And they're like, okay, Mr. Ross, give us your presentation. Mm -hmm. But because I did stand-up comedy, and I've been doing stand-up comedy about three years, I just went right into it, told two jokes, got them going. Made a presentation. Didn't have any slides or anything. Didn't have a PowerPoint. Didn't have slide. Didn't have any kind of presentation stuff because I wasn't. I had, I had some printouts I could hand around the table and all that. And that was that was okay. And it and it allowed me to think off the cuff. So it's a skill set. See, the two of the best skill sets you could have growing up, in my opinion, is working food service and working sales because mm -hmm. you will use that for the rest of your life. With sales, you're always going to be buying something and you're always going to be selling something. And so when you're buying something, you know what's in that salesman's motivation is to get in your wallet and pull money out. And a lot of times yeah, they, want, yeah. they want to help you in doing that. Cause, but others, they're just there to, to conjole you and give you the pretty story so you'll execute the sale. Uh, in food service, it's like a small project management. People are doing change orders. You know, give me this, but without onions and add avocados. Mm -hmm. And can you add? You know, can you do this? And I don't want French fries. Can you do you know, fried broccoli instead? You know, just all kinds of great. Then you're taking it, you're doing it, and then you're bringing back the order. And you know, within 30 minutes to an hour, whether you're successful or not. Well, guess what mm -hmm. you're going to do the rest of your life? You had to coordinate this event tonight. You have equipment you have to coordinate. You're always mm -hmm. doing project management. You're always dealing with sales, 
whether you're buying or selling, you're selling yourself, or selling a product or service, or buying something. And then you're also, you're always going to be doing some kind of project management. If you have a family, you're going to have project management. That type of, well, I told that story to a friend of mine who had put his way through college, had, 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 had supported himself through college working mm-hmm. at restaurants. Yeah. And eventually he got to some higher-end restaurants. Where, you know, the tickets back, I guess, in the 90s would be, you know, several hundred dollars would be a very expensive meal. Get business money, maybe $300. Now it's like a thousand. And, uh, well, then he graduates and gets a job, and next thing you know, he's on the floor of one of the New York exchanges working for, like, Goldman Sachs. Oh, And wow. he's putting orders in. He's on, the, he's, on the, he's on the phone desk doing the orders, handing them to runners. Runner, runners are running them to the pit. They're doing trades, bringing it back. He's filling the orders. And then when markets go crazy, he's getting calls. No, change this. No, get the runner back. And chaos. It's organized chaos, just like the restaurant. Oh, yeah. And he said, you know, he goes, one day I was sitting there, and he goes, I, he goes, man, it was just, it had been a chaotic day, just billions of dollars, chaotic. And he goes, you know, this is just like working the restaurant, <laughs> only instead of hundreds of dollars, it's billions of dollars, or yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. And things like that, you don't think, what a dead-end job, doing dead-end commissional, I've done them, commissionally, if the only job you can get in your 30s is a commissionally sales job, Barring like you're selling aircraft mm-hmm. or you're doing real estate, I think you really need to evaluate your life. I think it's a good training because you'll always be learning to do sales, but it's it's just a very hard road to go that if you don't have something else to fall back on all this because people will. T- I've gotten stood up being paid like two or three times, mm-hmm. work, filled my quota, and got written by a hot check, or didn't get paid at all. And that's you know, very disheartening in sales and all that. So, but you learn a lot. You learn about a lot about human character and people and and who who you trust and how far you extend that rope. I always say, love is freely given, trust is earned. Yeah. And so, uh, so you learn. So, getting into comedy, it's just something I wanted to do. It lets you be able to think extemporaneously. Can you say that extemporaneously? Extemporaneously. Very good. Yeah, you should be host. <laughs> and. Uh, Got his big word catalog over here. Because just remember, you always want to throw in a big word. It's kind of like when you publicly speak. There's mm-hmm. five hints to publicly, or five steps to publicly speaking. The first three are tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That's almost like kind of a Toastmasters mm-hmm. technique. Today I'm mm-hmm. going to talk about this, and you tell them that, and then you say, today we covered such and such. Mm-hmm. Then you tell them something personal. Okay, about yourself or what you experience or why this is personal to you. Mm-hmm. And then Jack Welsh, who ran General uh, Electric, said, always tell them something they don't know. You tell mm-hmm. them something they don't know. Like tonight, I told you about TV dinners. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's something you may, a lot of people out there may not know because I just, I don't even, think, I don't even, thought, I guess you get an Aldi or something, but. Um, yeah, but not the same kind. Not the same kind. You just got, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I guess if they do give them their MREs, meals ready to eat. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. In, in a different way. And. But you tell them something, and they, then you become kind of a little bit of an expert in an area. And if you remember those five things, and whether it's doing stand-up comedy or giving any kind of a any kind of a speech, because uh, people be always judgmental. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you get up there, people are going to judge you immediately. Like I had, I did a corporate event, and uh, had a guy come up to me after I performed because I'm in a suit and tie and everything, and and he goes, "You have such a gay tie," and I'm like, "Hey, be tolerant. Just came out of the closet." <laughs> you know, my dad had a bunch of ties. That's in the kind 1970s of a dick thing to just say, though. You know that. Said again. I think that's kind of a dick thing to just say, though. Uh, you know, it's it, you got to be ready for anything. You know, we've got. Four, I, I saw a survey today that forty percent of the country 
hates the other side to the extent they wish they were dead. Mm -hmm. And so we're in a very vitriolic, you know, back when I was growing up, people would have differences. And then you and I could go out and watch a cowboy game or, you know, do something. And you agree to disagree. Yeah. Respect, you know, I, I just want to know why you believe what you believe. And then you want to know why I believe it. And then you could go, well, he's crazy or whatever. But you wouldn't think less of the human being over that. Now it's changed drastically. And so people can be very judgmental. And so, like, for example, when I get up on stage, I look like the guy that turned you down for your car loan. Mm. You know, <laughs> 280's just not a good score. You know, it's not yeah, a good score. Yeah, it's not like, can you find somebody else to co-sign for it? That's fine. You know, I mean, like, like yeah, you know, 280's not a good cholesterol count. Mm. 280's not a good SAT score. You, you know, know, it's funny that you say that, because I just, uh, I was at the, um, I went to a Lewis Black show last yeah. weekend. Yeah. And, you know, he's usually, he brings up, you know, uh, politics occasionally and yeah. he started he brought up a little bit of Trump mm -hmm. and as soon as people started hearing that uh, a group of, of guys in front of us started getting upset and they're like yeah. oh no they're like change the subject move on yeah. and all he was the basis a basis of what he was saying was that Trump is not good for comedy because <clears throat> because of how the minute you bring him up people either shut off or they get too excited and it's, and it's like no point. There's no joking around with him. Uh, and uh, but all he was saying was like that day uh, <clears throat> that Trump. Uh, oh shit! What's the point that he was trying to make? Fuck! I mean, I can't. Well, remember. he said he wasn't good for comedy. Yeah, his, that's what like that's what he was saying. And and the guys just got up and you know they just upset and they well out, part, and it wasn't even like a part. Was, part of it is you know because you and I watch the headliners, mm -hmm. okay? And I, so I watch these guys come in. And, and at least, you know, a couple of times I've seen people go, hey, do you all want me to do anything political? And people are like, hell no. No, we just we just want to come mm -hmm. laugh tonight. And so now I'm going to do three or four political jokes for you, and I'm mm -hmm. going to show you the difference here. Okay, so Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, they're running for the Democrat nomination. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you a little bit about the difference between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Um, is if Joe Biden, uh, if, if Bernie Sanders sees a glass that's halfway full, he's going to go, that glass is half empty. You know, mm -hmm. I want it huge for everybody. That glass is half empty. Yeah. <laughs> if Joe Biden sees that same glass, he thinks, you know what? That's a good place for my teeth. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay? <laughs> now, see, I'm, I'm not putting them... I mean, I guess if you like yeah. those two candidates, you know, that might offend you a little bit. But it's like, you know, but it's not me taking something personal on them. So, for example, like, for example, I'm excited. So, Obamacare. Not a fan. Not, not a fan because my health insurance went from $3,600 a year mm -hmm. before Obamacare. It's now $16,000 a year. Same policy. Yeah. I have to cover, like, my wife's pregnancy and sickle cell anemia. Mm. So I'm not subject to sickle cell anemia. My wife's not subject to getting pregnant, but we have to cover that. Okay? We're paying for stuff that we don't. It's like going to Golden Corral, and but... but you're not gonna eat, you know. You know you're paying for the whole buffet, yeah. But you don't want the the pork rinds over here, but mm -hmm. you have to pay for those anyway. Well, I may not want those. Give me a little bit more of a discount. Let me kind of shop on that. So, but I'm gonna explain Obamacare in about three or four easy steps. So here's Obamacare, just three easy steps. Number one, mm -hmm. everyone has to buy health care. Mm -hmm. Number two, if you don't buy health care, you're gonna pay a fine. Mm -hmm. Number three, if you don't pay the fine, you go to jail. Now here's where it's ironic. Once you're in jail, you get free health care. That's true. Circle of life. Yeah, that's true. It's just circle uh, of life. There's stuff. guys in jail that there are people who go to jail just to have their teeth removed. Yeah, for yeah. dentistry. Yeah, uh, uh, and so and so uh, now there's only three man-made objects you can see from Earth. Did you know that? 
There's only three main um, main objects you can see from Earth. I know the wall, the, the Great Wall of the China. The Great Wall of China. The second one is the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas, the one that's shaped in the pyramid. It has the bright lights. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so there's Luxor three man-made objects you can see from space. The Great Wall of China, the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas, and Donald Trump's hair. Donald Trump's hair. <laughs> I knew there was a punchline coming. Okay. I was like, what so are you going to I just told three <laughs> political jokes, mm -hmm. and I wasn't tearing people down. I'm just making fun. Mm -hmm. I'm, just making, I'm not making fun of the other side. I'm not making people sound like an idiot. Because the thing I got real sick about is anytime I disagree with the previous president, I was called a racist. Mm -hmm. I'm not racist, you know. And it's just like, yeah, that yeah, makes no and, sense. And, to well, me. but see, then that's what's laid the groundwork because then people like me are called deplorables and mm -hmm. people that only you know only understand their God and their and their Bibles and they cling to that because they don't understand other people. Dude, I went to public school. My mom was a public school teacher. Yeah, I mm -hmm. go to the two churches I've been involved with are both integrated churches. So it's like, and I serve with people, all the things, I lived, I was a minority in a foreign country. I lived in a foreign country as a minority. And so you have to understand the underpinnings that have been happening for decades is there's a side that goes, the media's against us, they never report stuff, they always skew it, and being local, I knew some stuff that happened in the media locally that when they reported it, it was just, it was just blatant. Blatantly mm -hmm. biased. I listened. You know who Walter Cronkite was? Yeah. I'm okay. So I just, I just, li I listened to a lot of audiobooks. I like to call books on tape, but then that ages me. Cause my dad was in the audio tape business. <laughs> but books on CD or audio books. And so one thing that Walter Cronkite said is he talked about how he was a cub reporter in Houston, and Houston had like all these towns had like two, three, four, five newspapers, and they were printing morning, mm -hmm. afternoon, and night editions. I mean, crazy, you think about it. Because it's just like now we get our information from the internet, our mm -hmm. phone, you know, our, our watch, and everything else. Yeah. Well, back then, people wanted updated information. And he said his editor would call him up and go, Cronkite, get up here! And he said, you did this article here on this robbery, and you said it was 406 Maine. The Houston Chronicle said it was 408 Maine, which is accurate. You also said John Smith, S-M-Y-T-H, was robbed, and they uh -huh. said it's S-M-I-T-H, which is correct. And he said the editor would tell him, because if you don't get those details correct, there's going to be some people involved with the story that know you didn't get it correct and you didn't take the time to get it correct. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to tell their friends. And even though that's just a few people, he said, you do that enough times, you lose all credibility. He said, when you report news, all 90% should know two things, that you are fair and that you are accurate. Mm -hmm. and, I can, and he said, if you ever get below that, You've lost it as far as media. And I can tell you now, media people have, their popularity, I think, is just above pedophilers. So the, people don't trust them for good reason. And when you've been involved in stories and you see stuff that that's not accurate, or you saw somebody write something and they edit, on the edit, send in an editorial and they change a few things on the editorial that mm -hmm. totally changes the context, but they've got that person's name on it, and then over you do it over decade, over decade, over decade, then that's why a huge percentage of the population... They don't trust the media. Uh, I'll give you an example. First day that the, the, the President Donald Trump goes into office, I saw it on the wires. I saw it hit the news services that he had removed the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, they ran with that story. He just racist has removed the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. Turned out I remember that. I remember didn't that. happen. No, it's fake news. I mean, it was totally false. What happened was the reporter, instead of doing his due job, yeah, somebody was standing in front of him. The room was crowded. Yeah, I, well, I didn't see it. Someone, so, and then boom, it runs. AP, UP, they, they all run 
with this with this report, and then of course there is a retraction, retraction days later. Mm-hmm. And that's after it's already run, and the late night host and everybody else runs with it. Well, then people go, I don't trust the media. I don't trust. So now you get to what you're talking about with Lewis Black. When people have beaten over the head for a certain period of time, mm-hmm. they don't want to hear it. When they watch sports, they don't want a political statement. They want to see the Patriots or the Cowboys or the Texans or whoever their team. That's what they want to watch to have the family over and zone out from everything else. And so I think we've come to a point now to where I think people with a brain stem understand that. And they'll go, you know, we're going to, you know, we, we, we have these things we disagree with, but I don't hate you as a human being and I don't wish you dead because far from it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to convince you. And if not, you know, at least respect my side and respect me to be able to believe and act out. And don't, if I speak someplace, don't sit there and do $100,000 worth of damage to the facility just because you, because you, here's what free speech is. Free mm-hmm. speech is protecting speech you don't agree with. Yeah, pretty much. Period. It's Period. protecting all speech. And if you don't like it, then yeah. too bad. <laughs> so, and that's what you're doing with this podcast. You know, this is free speech. We're doing comedy. We're talking politics. We're talking mm-hmm. life. And, you know, this is a good thing for America. And there's a lot of underground podcasts going on throughout the world, name the country, where, you know, they have to look over their shoulders and where they're going to get a knock on the door and they're about to get raided and taken off someplace. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's that's a real thing throughout the world there. We can't just, even in Canada, there's a thing in Canada where you can't say certain things and talk about certain things because they don't have free speech and a lot of no, people think that they do they're no. like what Canada no. don't have free speech no they don't the only thing you can't you know the limits here are, for example and I agree with this you can't yell fire in a crowded theater you can't cause like a riot mm-hmm. uh, you can't threaten the president of the United States that's just I don't care who the president is when Barack Obama was president I very much have said I don't want anyone threatening anybody who is ever president of the mm-hmm. United States. It, that's, that's not a good thing for our democracy, to wish somebody dead who's even the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And But other than that, pretty much like Bill Maher, I disagree with most of Bill Maher says, but guess what? I'll protect his right to do whatever. And if there's an audience for it, you know, as you move up from 6,999,631st on podcasts <laughs> and you start moving up, and you want to lambast me and make it, you know what? You and Hempies, whatever you partake yeah. in Hempies that night. All right, so I'm going to tell you a funny story. So back when, okay, I, was, when I was growing up, my dad yeah. smoked a pipe. And mm-hmm. not like your pipe that's plastic and you got to get the thing clear. These are the old-fashioned, really groovy pipes that they... Like a corn you, pipe. Yeah, well, not a corn pipe. Like, 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 like these Davy But like the wood like Johnny Appleseed the wood, out there. The wood... Gro- uh, wood <laughs> yeah, right? the beautiful... Cause, and they were walnut and they mm-hmm. were... They convinced me never to smoke because he would smoke with a pipe in the car in the winter with the windows rolled up. Mm, okay. And so, yeah, it's like going to the gas chamber, you I know, when you're a kid. So, so the good that came out of that was uh-huh. I never wanted to smoke because I'm just gagging through this, you know, through this cloud and all that. So as I was growing up, when I was about 13, my dad stopped drinking through the AA program. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very thankful for AA and what it did for my dad. And April 26, 1976, when he stopped drinking. So he started going to AA meetings constantly because mm-hmm. he needed that. And then he started audio taping the conventions in the five-state area, and then he started selling the tapes, and that's actually how he made a living for the rest of his life, was oh, going really? to the conventions. <clears throat> and um, I would carry around his big wall-and-sack high-speed duplicators for the 1970s. So I would go yeah. to the conventions and then help him do the tapes and everything. And so he'd get... Trash Ailey, TRS-80, Radio Shack computers. Eventually got the Macintosh and printers, and he would print the labels and all that. 
but he would still smoke his pipe. So he stopped drinking, he still smoked his pipe. Well, we had a neighbor kid who, uh, wealthy, you know, the family, we weren't a wealthy neighborhood, but the family start, started doing well. They eventually moved out to a wealthy neighborhood. And, uh, but the kid was a hellion. He was very athletically gifted, but got into drugs and a lot of other stuff. It's bad. Yeah. And 13, 14 feet. And he was about a foot taller than a quarterback and was about 50 pounds heavier than me. It scared me. Uh-huh. And uh, one night my parents are in an AA meeting and I hear him the knock on the door and I'm not tall enough to even like look through the peephole. So I open the door and he just pushes his foot in, him and his friend, and goes, hey dude, we just got some hash and then we realized, man, that we don't have a pipe, but your dad has pipes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's nothing I can do. There's no one else at the house. They push their way in the house. So they smoked hash in my dad's pipes. Oh my goodness. So they leave pipes. I don't even know if I touch the pipes. They put, they clean up all their paraphernalia. They leave, thank God. About two weeks later, my dad says to me, he says, Rob, have you been doing anything with my pipes? Yeah, I was about and to I'm say. like, oh, I, I have not touched your pipes. <laughs> I do not like smoking. I never get near your pipes. <laughs> And it wasn't until about 20 years later that I finally told the story. After he got on my, one of my brothers about smoking dope and everything, and mm-hmm. I finally told him, well, you know, Dad, you smoked hash. <laughs> and, of course, for AAers, uh-huh. any kind of drugs or alcohol can, in their mind, can violate your, your sobriety day. Mm-hmm. Cause especially back then, if you were drinking but still doing drugs, then you didn't, you didn't get a sobriety day until you got off all mood-enhancing Mood altering type stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's changed now. And uh, so, but you got to know the backstory behind this. And mm-hmm. that is, you got to think that he finishes that pipe <laughs> and that Sir Walter Raleigh tobacco, eventually, all the soot and extremity of, of stuff of the hash finally dis- he smokes it all. Yeah. And then he puts another pack of Sir Walter Raleigh in there, and it just doesn't have the same kick. As the stuff he was smoking away, you, you could just see him going back down to the tobacco shop going, look, I don't know what box you got this to Walter right, but I want the stuff from two weeks ago because <laughs> I was mellow out. I got along with all the teenagers. Everything was cool, man. It was just, man, I was just zoning out. And I was relaxed, man. I want that to Walter Raleigh. I, would, I wonder if, like, if he could tell right away or, or like, it was one of those where, like, I what feel kind of funny. Yeah. And they'd be like, man, I felt really good yesterday. What was that all about? Because <laughs> hash is pretty much, um, it's like, <coughs> it's like the resin from weed. Kind of like, a, it's already pre, like the oil. I was an around. alcohol guy. I didn't do drugs. Everybody who did drugs around me were jerks. So oh, I was, those I, jerks. And so, well, I was doing, I was doing full contact karate and jujitsu tournaments. Yeah. And I was, I was the inaugural class to play soccer in the high schools. Oh. Are, and like back when we played soccer, unless you were the goalie or the defenseman, mm-hmm. you didn't wear shin guards. And you took your socks and you pulled them all the way down to your shoes. <laughs> Why? Like just tart, just because it looked cool. Oh you just, no goodness. one did it. And so I was just carved up. I just have, I have muscle on me, but I don't have muscle like on the front of my shins. Mm, I'm just not, not one of those guys. Always... I don't have it. And I would just be, and guys would kick you on purpose on your shins. And I would just think, man, if I could just wear shin guards. But no one, I mean, literally, league one, now it's required. Yeah. You can't play unless you have shin guards. Mm-hmm. At least I know when I started coaching kids, that was the rule. And they've changed that. But that we had, and I just wish we would have done that. But yeah, so thank, a lot of stuff has changed. But back when I was, so that's why I didn't do smoke in high school. Because it affected my wind. And then people who did it just, 
some of them, I mean, you know, people, it's just like alcoholics or anything else or nut jobs, but just, and I think having relatives that did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I remember once a relatives, one had a bong, became the real big things, had a bong called Susie Q. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, paneling like you have here. Yeah. And he had a place where he could remove the paneling. And then, and of course, paneling has the sideboards, you yeah. know, your, your baseboards there. And it's like shelves. He just opened it up and he just like had this whole paraphernalia shelf of Suzy Q and everything <laughs> else. And then I remember another relative had a bong that was like three and a half feet tall. Yeah, they get ridiculous. Inside. And I mean, it's like that's that's almost like a, you know Michael Phelps Olympian proportion mm-hmm. type bong. If you're, I mean, you're serious doing doing that one, man. That's like <laughs> that's like you got to get a Kirby vacuum just to get it halfway up to you. So I'm like, no. I think I'll just have some beer. And, yeah, there's a time where people were just taking it to the extreme. And there's still people, those kind of people now. They they want to take, you know, pot to the extreme. Well, I'm sure you can find some of this paraphernalia at Hippies. Oh, yeah, you can find it there. Yeah, I'm sure you and can. It's I, mean, not, I wouldn't it's know. It's not cheap at all. I don't know how these stoners are affording it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not so it's cheap. a premium. It's a premium uh, product place yeah, then. Yeah, it there. is. These glass items do cost a lot. <clears throat> you ever thought about taking like eating an edible? <clears throat> no. No, no. I mean, I do something with doctor prescribed something, but you have to understand that the marijuana, this ain't your grandfather's marijuana mm. nowadays. Mm. And so the marijuana that you have and the TLC, THC, 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 um, that I was thinking of tender loving care, uh, T- <laughs> THC. Uh, well, I think it's like forty <laughs> times stronger than what people had when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So I'm real interested. We're coming up probably on 10 years on Colorado. So it's going to be very interesting to see all sides mm-hmm. come in and do <clears throat> surveys to see, okay, did like teenage uh, uh, drug use go up? Uh, how much of time was it a gateway drug? Was it a gateway drug at all? Or did mm-hmm. it reduce dependency on like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, Oxycontin, mm-hmm. other things? Uh you know what? Uh, do you? I do know one of the statistics has come out right now, and they don't really want to come because there was a movie made back in the late fifties called I think called Reefer Madness, where people yeah, smoked dope. Like, ah! Yeah, it was, like, that was made by uh, oh, who's that guy who who owned a paper mill? And paper uh, and, and anyway, they. Uh, but I know that the hospitals have been reporting like a six and nine percent. Uh, increase in people coming in with paranoia and schizophrenia. They're seeing a spike in paranoia and mm-hmm. schizophrenia. And I don't think it's based upon the THC from 1958 or 1978. I think it's a THC from 2020, you know, mm-hmm. 2018, that you can they can make this stuff so potent. And I think the stories I hear, like even on the edibles, is people go in and just eat a whole brownie mm-hmm. and not be used to, have no <laughs> tolerance built up. No, because it... Uh, do you know why it affects you differently when you eat it? Because you're on drugs? No. Is that what it is, Rudy? No. I would assume well, there's THC, is, so you're on drugs. It'll probably do some mind altering. Well, what it is, it, it reacts to your body differently because what the difference is that you're actually, when you digest it, it actually goes through your liver enzymes. Okay. And that causes like a different, a whole different reaction than just smoking it. Okay. Uh, it's more of a... Uh, whole body experience? Yeah, it's more body and it's more... Um, I guess Does it, is it more concentrated because it get does it b- broken down what's going through the lungs and no fl- no that it's way not really more cases? concentrated because they don't use it's not like they they use a huge amount to make it <clears throat> um say like just say you can smoke like maybe two joints yeah and then have the same amount of that weed in one 
size of an edible. Okay. <clears throat> but Which is like, what, 40 <clears throat> joints when I was growing up? Right? <laughs> well, it's yeah. Actually, you no, know, the, the weed back then was, was pretty bad. Because we went from I mean, having... it was like It was like the stuff that you when, you, when you made a model railroad and you had the fake bushes, it was basically yeah. like that. Cause that was some oregano. Yeah, because... I mean, that's... Uh, we, I, when I and was, maybe it was a plastic I, I don't know. I when mean, I was young, the, the weed came in bricks. And it was compacted. Okay. And uh, they would break that into a part, and it was just like dark green. There was all kinds of stems and seeds. And nowadays, it's all like it's all just buds and little flowers. They don't compact it anymore. Yeah. So it it looks way better. You can have for some reason why I don't know why now it has little crystallized specks on it. Back then, I don't remember any crystals at all. And then now it doesn't even have seeds in it. You know, you have to understand. Okay, so I came across when I was nineteen, mm-hmm. so I stopped drinking. Uh, had to work on my language, so people ask me if I cuss. I do clean comedy, and mm-hmm. I say, "Yeah, I used to talk like you." And then I went through puberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then I went to Bible college, and then you know, I did missionary mm-hmm. work. So you know, I've been involved helping people, going to the community, reaching people for Christ, that type of thing. So obviously, doing comedy, I have a lot of friends that do drugs. Actually, doing clean comedy shows, uh, I've had several guys show up to do my show. Yeah, and they were high twice you know mm-hmm. um and so i know it melds through society it's kind of like not a, it's not in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. as far as what i'm involved with and be, even though you know i know a lot of comedy friends that are in it and I'll, I'll be interested to see what gets legalized what doesn't and i'm real interested to see what happens in colorado now that we've had 10 years mm-hmm. and i would just say this much colorado better choose wild, wisely who they vote for president mm-hmm. because it's possible I, I, this is a speculative thing on my thing. So I'm going to make two predictions. One prediction is I don't think they're going to go through with impeachment mm-hmm. uh, because it's going to drag out six, four senators are running for president. They can't be out running for president if they're on the jury and they're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and then Joe Biden will just get dragged into this whole thing the whole time. And the other party controls the Senate, which actually does the trial and actually can bring in real witnesses this time, not hearsay witnesses. Mm-hmm. And they could drag it out for months and months and months. And I'm thinking, and it's not starting to become very popular yeah. uh, by certain segments. And I think that they're they're not gonna they're not gonna go go through with it on there. Uh, the second thing is, I think if Colorado doesn't vote for Trump, I think it's a very good likelihood they might look. You know what? We're just gonna go ahead and enforce federal law on drugs. So I think. You think I, so? I, well, I mean, that's a possibility. Think, think, think. It always affects you know a state if they don't go. For the person that wins the presidency, mm-hmm. they don't get as they. A lot of times, they don't get as much uh, federal projects and, and federal money for museums and and and, and, but does Colorado, and roads and. But does Colorado so, really need all that federal money? Because they're, they're making well, so much no, I mean, you, hey, they build, they, they build they build roads. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, all that money right now, because there's still federal uh, drug laws on the books, mm-hmm. is that they can't put that money in the bank because the federal drug laws change like that. They lose all the money. That's why these people have, in the back room of some of these drug yeah, shops, they have these huge safes, and there's like $800,000. Yeah, because they can't, they, they, they can't do anything can't do with it. With it right yeah, now. I mean, they can pay the employees, but they got to get, you know, I mean, there, there's, you know, so you got this cash business that they're not, cons- you know, they, they've got to w- meld this out. And so it'll be. I would just. That's a speculation on my part that mm-hmm. if Colorado decides to swing to whoever the Booty Edge Warren, you know, Bloomberg, what was Bloomberg, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, Biden, whoever, and there'll be a governor running with them, probably. I think Joe Manchin might be a, a, a vice presidential candidate for whoever because he's from West Virginia and a little bit more conservative leaning. 
and been a governor. Uh, but I think if, I think if, if they vote and, and, and Trump wins mm-hmm. and they don't vote for Trump, I think they're like, okay, well, he's not going to run again. And, um, and you know, I just, I, I think it's just kind of an interesting dynamic um, of how the Electoral College works and how, because yeah, you got to remember, it's the rural areas that produce like 99% of the food, mm-hmm. that produce like 90% of the energy, even solar, wind, fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Also, it's like 90% of everything we use to build houses and buildings, such as concrete, timber, yeah. steel, you know, all that stuff comes from rural areas. So it'll be interesting to see how the dynamics line out. But Colorado, mm-hmm. like I said, will just be an interesting mm-hmm. dichotomy and study. Here. The, the way I see it, I don't feel like... Um, I feel like it's, uh, the whole weed legalization, I feel like it's already coming here and we're moving just forward. I don't feel like we can move backward from there. From the way things are going and the way things are coming up. I think what you're going to see, I think, I think for some states, because I've seen this firsthand with people is they'll keep stuff on the books because if they're having a problem with a person and they yeah. find, like, two joints on them, and this is a person that's really a problem, okay, now we got cause to bring them in to deal with stuff. Mm-hmm. If it's a person that's, like, no problem, it may be, uh, dude, flush it, move on. Yeah. You I, know? I think, uh, or we're going to come down, book you, and then we're letting you go, and it's like a misdemeanor or whatever yeah. because it's just not worth the cop's time. they got other fi- fish to fry and other mm-hmm. stuff to deal with. I think it's, it's 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 used for them to where if they want to enforce something, but also understand this: if you do this with with marijuana laws and you get rid of them federally, it's actually not good for a lot of people dealing with drugs because they'll talk about like Barack Obama used to talk about how many people were in prison for weed possession. Mm-hmm. Okay, actually, that's not the whole story. They actually were involved in drug running or cocaine or production of methamphetamine or uh, heroin, and they got caught. And then because there were federal drug laws on marijuana, they said, if you will cooperate, we'll plead this down to the most minimum charge, mm-hmm. and that's a marijuana charge. So yeah, even though they're technically in for marijuana, they didn't, they didn't get charged originally with marijuana. They got charged with a bunch of other stuff, racketeering, drug running, production, and then because they worked with the state, they were able to plead down. Well, if you get rid of those marijuana laws, then you don't have those plea bargain agreements mm-hmm. on there. And so that's what one people. That's what happens when people only see the end story. They don't see the whole context mm-hmm. of the story. And saying, yeah, we have a lot of people in prison for marijuana stuff, but it's because they were involved in something a lot heavier, and they were able to plead down to something minor where they only had to spend what eighteen months or two and a half years, depending on. Yeah. But wouldn't, don't you think that'd make it better though for like those people who do get caught and busted that they can't have they don't have the marijuana to to, to fall back on anymore and they well, get that actual right well but then what are you gonna do with the guy that gets caught and wants to plead down but now the minimum charge is five years or ten years he's mm-hmm. not gonna get eighteen months so that's something you have to work <coughs> with the system mm-hmm. so I know you get five years for doing drugs whatever he'll do it you know what but it'd be a cooperative rent well like okay let's talk about let's let's end with this mm-hmm. the comedy. Can you tell me a famous comedian who went to prison, who turned in, who turned in state's evidence to get a lesser charge and, and served? I think a charge may have been mar- even marijuana, may have not been. You know which famous comedian I'm talking about? Tim Allen. Uh, 
Oh, Tim Allen. Did Tim he, Allen. Did he have like a huge coke uh, problem during the show? Uh, well, maybe, but, but when he was on, you know, of course he does Last Man Standing mm-hmm. now, which is a hit show, but, you know, he did uh, Tool Time, the home improvement show. Yeah, home improvement. But it was before that he actually got caught with, dru- you know, doing drugs and, mm-hmm. and, and I think, I guess, selling them and all that. And he pled, da- he, was, he turned in state's evidence and then he pled down to a lesser charge. Mm-hmm. And so that's what those things allow. So people go, well, he's in jail for such and such, whatever that lesser charge is. Yeah. Well, we need to get rid of that. That's stupid. No. If you look at everything else, so I think you know we're. Cl- I think one of the things we're seeing now is it costs what thirty-seven thousand dollars to house a federal prisoner. Twenty-three percent of them aren't even here. Mm-hmm. Leaving, you know, people from outside the country, and so I think we're looking at ways to say, you know, this isn't a violent criminal. This isn't a violent criminal. This is they spent a, a certain amount of time. So the president of the United States, Kane mm-hmm. West, and one of the Kardashians, you know, <laughs> yeah, they've come, you know, they've come in and they've. And they've said, you know, we're going to do some, and Oklahoma just did a release. Now, I know that the crime has spiked in Oklahoma since they did the release. That was on the ending news today. But I think it's something that's being reevaluated a lot mm-hmm. to say, where do, where do we fall in this? And maybe we just go back to it's a state's rights deal. And so some states will be very harsh about it. And other states, mm-hmm. other states are going to be very lax, like Colorado and all that. So we'll see how it ends up. Mm, okay. So, uh you want me to end with a joke? It's not to take in right there. Uh, what time do you have to leave by? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna go do uh, the show here, so. Okay. Uh, Magnolia, so. Um, I was going to say, uh, Yeah. what about uh, mushrooms? Ever have any? Yeah. No, on my pizza. <laughs> but I didn't feel any weird <laughs> afterwards. Because uh, no. you know, I'm starting to do a lot of studies. Okay, so here's my question. Yeah. Okay, there's people, not just the mushrooms, but people that lick. The poison frogs, the toads, the toads. I, I, I. Okay, and it's a hallucinogenic. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, it's supposed to be. I you can tell I struggle with these terms because <laughs> it's just not my wheelhouse. Okay. I, I don't think that's completely accurate, though. I think that's they like don't this. lick the frogs. No, I think it's something different. I think. No, they lick the no, toads. No, they, they no, pick it up. Urban they get, 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 get. I got it. You got it. They pass it around, dude. Hey, man, no, only lick off the red line, man. Let me get. Let me read here. You look off the green line, man. I want to know who was the first dude to try it. They even think, hey, man, okay, I licked a skunk. I licked a porcupine. Let's try this colored toad. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe it just jumped on them and they licked their hand when it, you know, by accident. Yeah, that's true. So, <clears throat> so uh, no, no. <laughs> I don't even know where I wanted to go yet. But you're talking about mushrooms. Yeah, okay, okay, mushrooms. Because, you know, Colorado made them legal now. They're not criminalized okay. over there. Um, also, I think uh, I think weed, was it weed uh, was recently uh, uh, federally, federally decriminalized? I, I don't. I don't like, know the whole story. I, I don't. Like I, I, well, I mean, you can past still week. Go to jail. I, I, I just have to look. I think that you know, there's some moving parts there. So. Yeah, I think you can still go to jail for depending on how much you have, but it's not like you're not going to get a federal, um, yeah, a federal crime for it no more. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I don't think it's a felony. Um, but as far as uh, like the mushrooms, I don't know. It's they're 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 allowed. They're, it's legal. It's starting to be legal in Colorado, but you know, there's a lot of places that are starting to study it and okay. how they're starting to use it for like PTSD. Well, that's different uh, though, because like, like, okay, do you know what paragoric is? Uh, I've not heard that word. Okay, before. paragoric. Okay, 
So Paragoric was something that if your stomach was upset yeah. as a kid, they'd give it to you. If you couldn't sleep, they'd give it to you. If you couldn't wake up, they'd give it to you. Oh, if you had club feet, yeah, they'd yeah. give it to you because it wouldn't cure club feet, but make you <coughs> make you feel like you didn't ha- that you didn't have club feet. Yeah. Okay. If you watch the Bobby Jones story, he was the golfer who who did the Masters. He's the first guy to win the four majors and everything. There's a scene in there where he he would get angry. He'd go so nervous and wrought up, and he'd throw golf clubs. And there's a scene in there where the doctor says, "Well, just give him some Paragoric for his stomach." Okay. Mm-hmm. So I talked to my mother-in-law. You know the one we finally found her heart on. Yeah, and uh, and she's great. She she puts up with my stuff. And uh, uh, and she said, "Oh yeah, we gave it to all the kids when they were growing up. And used to be you could just go in and buy it off the shelf. Then you had to go in and ask for it behind the shelf. Mm-hmm. Then you had to have a prescription. And then eventually they got rid of it. Okay, paragoric main ingredient opium." Opium. They were giving kids up. That's why Grandpa could go uphill in the snow both ways, because Coca-Cola had cocaine, mm-hmm. and they're taking Paragorks, and they're on opium and cocaine. They could do anything. <laughs> Superman. Well, then, then they I'll... fell over dead at 55, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They killed them all there, so. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, but what my whole, my whole argument is, or not mm-hmm. whole, but point is, is that even marijuana, anything else, that can, that's what a drug is. It's something used for medicinal purposes. I guess oxycotton is a form of, you tell me, heroin? It's an opium, yeah, it's an opiate. Okay, it's a heroin and an opiate? Mm-hmm. I mean, it shows how ignorant is about these type of things, it, other than Breaking Bad. Everything I know about drugs, I learned off Breaking Bad. Um, Actually, it was a good show to learn. It's, a great, show, it's a great show. Um, <laughs> and the only show like that in history where the main character changed. He went from the protagonist to the antagonist. Only care, only show, long-term show that. Because in movies they do it, but yeah. on TV shows. Archie Bunker started out as a bigot. He pretty much ended up as a bigot. They would show MASH. The guy was a doctor, kind of fun-loving, cutting. At the end of 14 seasons, still saying Breaking Bad. No, he went from a high school chemistry teacher mm-hmm. to a very bad man. Who yeah. did a lot of things and hurt a lot of people and all that. So, um, Anyway, was I t- oh, talking about legalization? Now you make me look like opiates and, and oh, but everything, but everything, if it has a medic- but everything we use a medicinal purpose is a drug in some form. Mm-hmm. So people say, well, what about medical? Well, if it's something prescribed, science says this helps PTSD, or if it helps uh, glaucoma, you know, it, it's like it's like the kids that that at the Catholic Church that they they, they put some marijuana in the in the incense thing. Mm-hmm. So when they're swinging it for church, you know, that. yeah, yeah, three old ladies were healed of glaucoma. You know, <laughs> it's a miracle. You know? And so, anyway, um, it, all that stuff has a medicinal reason for it. But it, like we all know, is you can, like alcohol, food, anything else, mm-hmm. air. If you breathe too much air, you can hyperventilate. Drink too much water, you can die. I mean, yeah. anything that, to an extreme is can kill you. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with any kind of drug. I mean, if you take enough Advil, it'll kill you. Oh, definitely, so, definitely. You know, so. Anyway. I, I feel like, uh. This is know, what I, I came to talk about drugs. A guy who knows nothing <laughs> about doing drugs. Talking to Mushroom Man here <laughs> with a hippie shirt on. I don't. Look, I, I do agree with you about marijuana where I don't feel like it is for everybody. Yeah, I don't feel like everybody should be smoking it. I don't think. Why, wine's not for everybody either. No, it is not. Yeah. Some people just can't handle it or they yeah. drink too much of it and they don't know how to control themselves. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so. I mean, I, I do see a slight future in it, and I'm not sure. Uh, I actually think, you know, alcohol is still worse than uh, marijuana. A lot of people argue that. I wouldn't know because I don't drink anymore. So. Well, that's good. I mean. But you have to understand why I don't drink is because I have a problem. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you that compulsion. You found out you had a problem at 19? Like, say, yeah. Well, you understand my dad was an alcoholic. I came a Christian when I was 19, and you, this is a problem for me. Yeah. I, now, I have no problem with you 
I have a problem with you eating the mushrooms right now, but I have, don't have a problem with you drinking your wine. Uh, that's what they can't see on the camera here, just mushrooms. And, uh, uh, but I knew I had a problem. And that's, that's part of maturity. Mm -hmm. what, like, for example, uh, I could do individual sports, like, like yeah. playing racquetball. Or if I'm like on one side on volleyball. But if I'm in, like, if, if, we're, if we're on a hockey thing and we're playing hockey or we're doing broom ball, mm -hmm. doing broom ball one night with a bunch of high schoolers, and I just had $1,000 worth of teeth work done. And one of the kids almost hit me in the face. I mean, it swung. And I, I mean, literally, I'd been to the dentist that day. Mm -hmm. And the broom balls were no longer the, 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 the brooms. They were these sticks with a piece of pla hard plastic on the end. Yeah. And so he and this kid and I start almost like trash talk. So, hey, watch it. And he starts talking back. Mm -hmm. We went back and forth. And finally, at the end, I got him aside and I apologized to him. I said, look, I got to. And I realized... I was the second smallest guy going into high school, got picked on constantly, did, that's why I did karate, and, uh, and then doing soccer, and you know, I made all-stars, and I, you know, got, got, got this, and I was good, at, I was decent at sports. And, uh, but I realized, you know, I don't like, you know, when I'm out there on the thing, I don't like when refs miss calls, and I don't like it getting pushed around, especially being a smaller guy, and even though I'm, I'm five, you know, five eleven, 200 pounds, and I lift weights and all that, so uh, that, um, that, you know, I, I have this issue there. Well, it's the same thing. Well, so if I get a, a gallon of of uh, Bluebell mint chocolate ice cream, and then I'll get, like, some hot chocolate powder, and spray mm -hmm. on, I'll eat that, that gallon will be gone in two days. <laughs> that's a problem. No, that's a that problem. That is a problem. Okay? The thing is, though, that will kill me a lot slower than doing alcohol or mm -hmm. drugs, okay? Well, I mean, I don't think so if you did that every day. Well, that well, that's true if I did it every day. And so... I have to be very careful because I, I have to know what is my compulsiveness mm -hmm. and what do I have what do I have to control. Now, another thing I love is you get the fun size. I don't know what's fun about because they're too small, but you get the Kit Kat bars. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. What you do is you put them in the freezer because Kit Kat bars have a really good snap and they mm -hmm. won't unlike like a Snickers stuff. They won't break your teeth if they're in the freezer because yeah, yeah. it's a cookie in the center. Well, then I find out they make white chocolate Kit Kat bars. <laughs> And I'm telling you, Rudy. You know, well, hold on. Yeah. I'm telling you, Rudy. Once you have white, you'll never go back. <laughs> You're not making your comment earlier, but I'm not racist. Very. <laughs> uh, oh, 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 one quick. Also, another yeah. because the whole uh, the whole Trump thing, the whole uh, politics going on right now. Yeah. I also don't think that he will get impeached. I don't feel like he will. I think it's well. There's about 40 congressmen who flip seats and districts he won. And that will become a he I, put it this way: it's their death day. If they if they vote for impeachment, I mean, actually to impeach it, that will become the campaign thing. And if the winds swing a little bit against them, that's because. And they and if sixteen Democrats bail, then they're not going to be able to get it to the Senate. We're we're going to die. It's, I mean, it's, it's not going. It's just like when Clinton got impeached. It's not going. He's not going to get convicted and thrown out of office. And, and here's technically what's kind of funny: if the if the Senate did throw him out of office, he's running for president. He could just win again and get another four years. Mm -hmm. you know, so Christ. it's all. But people like uh, Cory Booker, Kat, uh, Kamala Harris, uh -huh. um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Warren, and uh, Bernie Sanders—they're all United States senators running for president. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some others I just don't remember running for president. Well, guess what? If there's an impeachment in the Senate. They have to sit there as jurors, yeah, that's and true. the other party can make that process last for a while. Well, guess when that's happening? January, February. Guess what happens in January? Iowa caucuses, uh -huh. New Hampshire, you know, primary, South Carolina, Nevada, 
all these primary states and they can't they have to sit there as a juror and then they can't if they're out the campaign trail they can't talk about it mm -hmm. at all uh and then on top of that the other party can say okay joe biden hey hunter biden you have no background in oil and gas and no background in foreign any foreign affairs and yet you got a hundred and thirty thousand dollars a month job mm -hmm. with your dad as vice president and then when they're investigating you your dad admits he told them i'm going to withhold a billion dollars of federal funding until you fire the guy and you got six hours. That's just going to be played over. I mean, Joe Biden admitted that, that he that he told them, you have six hours and we're not giving you the money. And he had to fire the guy who was investigating his son, mm -hmm. who was on board of a corrupt company in, I thought in the Ukraine. I thought he wanted to uh, fire that guy who, uh, because the guy was corrupt. Well, he says he's corrupt. Europe says he's corrupt. He's doing all kinds of corruption investigations. Yeah. But the thing is, his own son was being investigated by the guy. Mm -hmm. And then he tells the guy, I'm withholding a billion dollars in federal money, and they weren't even giving ammunition and stuff. They're gonna make, give them like 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 wing, you know hot dog weenies and blankets, basically. But it's still a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. But you got to fire this guy in six hours. He's on tape saying that. He said, "I told him you aren't gonna get." Well, the guy was investigating his son. I'm sorry. That just to me, that just reeks of corruption. Well, guess what? You can disagree with it. That's not corrupt, even though his son has no oil and gas experience, has no experience in Ukraine policies, no, and he gets, and then he got a billion dollars with another company when he flew up with his dad to China and got a billion dollars for a company from the Chinese. Yeah, uh, that's all going to get pulled into civil. Well, Joe Biden's running for president. He doesn't want this to end up. He wants to say, yeah, we need him impeached. He doesn't want a trial because he'll have to testify. Hunter Biden will have to testify. Mm -hmm. So you got five people, either the vice president used to be a United States senator and four current senators. It's not going to do their campaigns very well to have to sit on their butt, not be able to talk about it, can't be out campaigning. It's, it's just not, so I, that's what I'm looking at, plus with 40 seats that are up for grabs this yeah. time around. And now you do have coattails and you do have Trump on the ticket, so half the people are going to hate him, half the people are going to love him. And you understand, most elections, most elections are, and, and per, we've been more divided in 1860 and 1864 than we are right now. Mm -hmm. We went to Civil War. Yeah. Uh, but people, generally speaking, there's a percentage that vote for their guy because they like their guy. But there's a percentage that vote against the other people, other person because they dislike them. Because they so, don't like the other person. And so that's what's going to be the dichotomy. you got your supporters. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to say people who are middle of the road. The only thing in the middle of the road are yellow lines and dead armadillos. You know, so it's going to be people making up their mind based on all kinds of that's things. That's a Texas that, joke, guys. That's a Texas joke. So, <laughs> no, so anyway. Um, well, that's very interesting. Um, aside from Trump rerunning for as a Republican, yeah. has, there, has there anybody else that's running as a Republican? To There's be three. President? There's a guy by the name of uh, Sanford. He used to be governor of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. He's the one who left his wife and four kids to take a walk on the uh, uh, Appalachian Mountains. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he was actually seeing a girlfriend from Brazil. He had fallen oh. in love with. So his name's Mark Sanford. So he left the governorship and then ran and won as a U.S. congressman. And then I think he got defeated in a primary. And then now he's running for president. Uh, uh, Weld, uh, William Weld, who was governor of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. He had to in Massachusetts. Ask not what you could do for your country, what your country could do for you. Uh, that's not actually that quote. Uh, okay, give me some clam chowder. Can I have some clam chowder here? And uh, I love doing voice like from Puff. Go down and get, take a walk on the outback on Puff, and be, you know we're gonna ride, you know, get see the great whites out there and all that. And, but, so, um, 
Anyway, what was your question? Now I've, di- I've digressed. <laughs> it's like, which one? Uh, what, what, oh, the other guy's running. So it's, it's Bill Weld, mm-hmm. it's Mark Sanford, mm-hmm. and then there's another guy who's been, I think, a, for, uh, a former governor. That They're all going to try to run as Republicans, but they, they don't have money. They don't have name recognition. Um, that, you know, it's one of those things that when you run, sometimes you run, uh, you're, it's kind of like being in a football game uh, behind 28 to nothing or by 28 points going into the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and the other team starts making mistakes. Do you feel like our system is still working? Yes. The way our government runs yes. is still working? The, yeah. whole, the whole two-party yeah. and one person controlling everything is still completely well, not work. one person controls everything. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, they get we have votes every four years. You know, the great thing about one of our greatest presidents was a guy by the name of John Adams. Mm-hmm. John Adams, if you ever heard of David McAuliffe wrote a book called 1776, so we know what happened that year. But he also wrote a book called John Adams, which HBO made their series based on his book. Mm-hmm. And John Adams diaried his whole life. Not to have diarrhea, but he diaried his whole diaried. life. <laughs> and uh, you have to think about the greatness of our structure. Mm-hmm. That, okay, he's vice president under Washington for two terms. He's elected president and then through some shenanigans loses to Thomas Jefferson, who is his vice president because mm-hmm. the way they did it, the first and second vote getters got together. God got to be president and vice president. And Hamilton got the New York delegation, electoral college, to vote for Jefferson, even though they didn't like Jefferson, so they could force Adams. I think it's because Hamilton wanted to actually stage a coup later. Mm-hmm. But he got killed by the vice president, Aaron Burr, in a duel later. So you think about it, we're having oh, hard times. Yeah. The vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, killed the former <laughs> Secretary of the Treasury. Okay, and one of the guys that, that, that wrote that wrote the Federalist Papers and that type of thing. And so, but Adams uh, lost the presidency. Mm-hmm. And you think about that. He's the, the chief executive, but he's also the head of the military. And he peacefully handed over power. Hmm. Think about that. And every four years... We do. You look at these other countries, especially that people like Bernie and other people love to brag about, like Venezuela and places like that. But you look how they hand over power. It's usually when somebody's dying. Or you look at like it's like Mexico. They serve six-year terms. <coughs> a lot of those Mexican presidents rip the people off, mm-hmm. got a hundred million dollars or more, put it in a Swiss or Singapore bank account, and then they left the country or they left, and they just rob and pillage the people. <coughs> We have a system that will always be... It's just like a church. When you walk into the church, you made it imperfect. A church is made up of imperfect people who need a perfect God to give them forgiveness mm-hmm. okay, through Christ. And so in our political system, we have a political system of checks and balances that is sometimes it's rough, but it, it works as work. We have the longest-serving constitutional republic ever invented. Look, I feel like the Constitution works, but I feel like the way our structure that we built to it, I don't think it's completely working now because of how times have changed. I mean, so many things make a difference now. Um, But you still have a First Amendment, and back when they did the First Amendment, but then they did back the First Amendment, the only thing is, is print, or you stepping up on a a soapbox and Mm -hmm. talking. They didn't foresee the internet. They didn't foresee newspapers. I mean, excuse me, they had newspapers. They didn't foresee They didn't foresee newscasts and TV. Social media? They didn't see social media. Social media media has so much of an influence So so you have to understand that that yes, everything has changed from the founding, but our structures like and if you don't like something, guess what? We have a thing called a constitutional amendment process. So mm-hmm. for example, back during the Vietnam War, before the Vietnam War, you know what the voting age was? Uh it was like twenty one. It was twenty one. Yeah. During the Vietnam War, because of the a lot because of the Vietnam War, there was votes and it changed and the voting age went down to eighteen. So they're saying, look, if you could draft us and send us off to war, we should be able to vote for whoever goes in there. So we mm-hmm. have a so when enough people rise up 
when there's enough majority that rises up to want to change something, we have the ability to do it. The thing is, for you on your side, for me on my side, maybe we're walking together, maybe we're walking off, is to convince enough people to say, we need to change this, and you do it through a constitutional amendment process. And you also do it by electing your representatives, by electing your senators, mm -hmm. by electing the president. And guess what? Look at the presidents we had. We had George H.W. Bush, then we had eight years of Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. then we had eight years of George W. Bush, then we had eight years of Barack Obama. Now, we, So we flip back and forth on parties mm -hmm. pretty consistently. And so people don't like where you're at now. It's only three years in. I mean, how do you think I felt during the previous eight years with my watching my health insurance going up and being demonized that I'm a racist just because I disagree with some care less what color somebody is because I disagree with somebody's policy mm -hmm. constantly be called racist? I mean, you get tired of that. And so what happens is, is and so when people are upset right now, I said, how do you think I felt during the last eight years, previous eight years? All right, being lambasted and, and, and now paying $16,000 a year in health that I can't afford. I have to go put on a credit card, borrow money to go, go pay my health insurance because it's gone up so much. Uh, so there's hope for the system. You live in the freest, greatest country on earth. We put man on the moon. We have the longest serving constitutional republic. We have the greatest economy we've ever had. Black unemployment is an ever lowest rate. Uh, Hispanic unemployment is lowest rate ever. We've got a bustling, booming economy. We haven't seen a economy like this since like the 1960s. Mm -hmm. We live in, in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we have like more jobs than people looking. I think right now ac across the United States as a whole, there's like 7 million more jobs than people looking. So, I mean, you have a and, – and, and, where, and where's everybody trying to get into? They're trying to get into this country because mm -hmm. we're the greatest, freest country upon the face of the earth that's yeah. ever existed. Well, if, if – and here's what confuses me. If the job – you know, job is rising in the DFW area, which it is. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of jobs. And average what. wages across the United States but, have now gone to $5,000. But I also noticed that the homeless problem is rising. I'm seeing I don't know what the statistics are on it, but people. we've always had a homeless problem. I mean, there's always been. I mean, I, ever since I've grown up, there's I, a homeless problem. When I first moved to Arlington, though, I didn't used to see homeless people. I used to see them in Dallas and mm -hmm. a little bit in Fort Worth. But yeah, there's homeless people here in Arlington now. I see panhandling every corner I go mm -hmm. to that has a highway or anywhere near a highway. So, and then I also know not all of them are real panhandlers. Right. Well, what do you think they are? Do you think they're on mushrooms? No, if they're on mushrooms, they'd be smiling, having a good time. They'd be walking the parks, you know. <laughs> hey, don't make fun of mushrooms if you don't know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm, that's what I was asking. I don't know. You know, here's what we here's what we do kind of do now. Is that uh -huh. number one? There are a certain number of people that just are really mentally have issues. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that percentage is, okay? But we also know that there's a percentage of people that are just strung out on drugs and just won't seek help to, to, to. And there's a lot of private organizations and public organizations that will help people. And then there's just people just taking advantage of the system and they're just lazy. Now, what those percentages are, I don't know. The thing is, back in the day, they could come in. And they could say, we're going to institutionalize this person. Mm -hmm. They go through a legal process, usually. People show up in white coats, they put on a straight jacket, they drag them off, they drag them up for the rest of their life, and all that. Does the U.S. government basically do anything well? You know what the Army, you know, you know what our military does really well? Hmm. Kills people and breaks things. Mm -hmm. That's what it does really well. And mm -hmm. that's pretty much what most government agencies do, is, is breaks things. Downs people and breaks things, okay? Because it's a big government bureaucracy, yeah. and when you're a bureaucrat, your first job is not to lose your job. Mm -hmm. Okay, so everything's about self-preservation, keep your job. And so what happened is we used to institutionalize people. The problem is the government ran it. 
And the problem with any government-run type thing is there's a lot of places that didn't work out, and people are in these decrepit, horrid conditions. And so it takes a lot of money. The problem is we spend, you know, we're $22 trillion in debt, and we spend, I mean, we bring in more money now to the U.S. Treasury than I think we ever have, or one of the top five incomes into the U.S. Treasury. Mm -hmm. We should be able to balance the budget and live with it about and deal with the issue, but you need to balance it. You just can't keep printing money and throwing it at it. Yeah. Because your children or grandchildren or all the children you don't know about, they're going to come in and they're going to have a problem when everything eventually spins out. And what they did in Germany back in the night that led to the rise of Hitler is because they, they, their economy went bad, and to pay the debt, they hyperinflated the currency. Mm. And so that means the, 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 glass, the bottle of wine you bought for $3 at Walmart over there is now $35 because or $40. Because money is not worth as much right. as Right, and be. so because they're printing the currency. And so that's, that's our future at some point unless they get this budget under control. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it's a paramount. You can argue about we should spend money on this, but you can't spend money on everything. I mean, socialism and government programs are great until you run out of other people's money. And then, then the people who become most dependent upon it are the ones who are the most hurt. Mm, yeah. And so that's why it's very important that if you can be self-sufficient, self-sustained, and not have to depend on anybody else, including the government, you're going to be the best off. But those people are, yeah, that are most dependent be. on are the ones that be the most hurt if everything fails. That's why I'm, I'm opposed to the, um, the minimum wage being raised to 15 because well, people complain that you know you can't live off of minimum wage. You're not supposed to live off minimum wage. Well, here's my argument. Milton Friedman, <laughs> who's a Nobel Prize-winning economist, said, mm -hmm. why is it more compassionate to have somebody unemployed at $15 an hour as opposed to having them employed at $7.50 an hour? Mm -hmm. Because what happens is what they're finding is in most places, whether now, where the economy's doing well, well, I just go, for example, when the oil boom was happening here in Texas, they were paying people $18 and $22 an hour starting at McDonald's in Midland, Odessa. They when were? The econ yes. When the economy, when oil was just bustling, we have a bustling economy. We have a bustling economy. Employers treat employees better because they know you can go get a job five other places. When the economy's bad, they know you can't find a job. They can treat you how, some other place paying the same wage for the same thing. They know they can treat you like crap. Hmm. So when the economy's bustling, you have choices. They have to treat you better. And so, uh, two stories real quick. I remember uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. Um, she was a bartenderess, won, wins the primary, wins, becomes a U.S. congressperson. Mm -hmm. Congratulations to her. Well, then she goes back to visit a coffee shop she used to work at because mm -hmm. they were closing down. You know why they were closing down? The media didn't report this part of the story. The owner said they were closing down. You know why? Hmm. Because they raised the minimum wage. Because they raised the minimum wage. And so, what happens is, is every time they've raised the minimum wage, Black youth unemployment goes up. Mm -hmm. The place where you need employment the most, like you said, those entry-level jobs. I work minimum wage jobs. Yeah, I did It too. was an entry-level job, and guess what? When I did good, I got a raise. Mm -hmm. And then guess what? I found a better job that paid more. And so it's an entry-level job to, to allow people. And I think if you and the employer, or let's say a youth, a 16-year-old, mm -hmm. they and their parents and an employer all agree to a wage. Who's the government to come in and say, no, you can't pay them that? If everyone agrees and you got this. And also setting a wage for San Francisco and New York City that's the same wage for someplace in Utah and Kansas and Alabama, mm -hmm. that the cost of living is different. Yeah, so that's very state, true. So each state actually has a minimum wage, or most states already have a minimum wage mm -hmm. set. Some of them don't do anything about it because there's a federal minimum wage. 
But what would happen, just like marijuana being a state issue right now in Colorado, it's the mm-hmm. same thing that should happen to the minimum wage. It should just be set statewide, statewide may even let the localities do it. Mm-hmm. And then they could do it to fluctuate it for their economic needs. Because guess what? When you drop wages, employers come in. Mm-hmm. But if you can't have any kind of competition because of this kind of the socialistic thing of you got to have this minimum price here, then that, then it doesn't create the opportunity. They're gonna, then they're going to put their stores and stuff in the best areas. They're not going to go into inner city areas and take a risk because if the employment is if, if the cost of employment's X here and it's the same X over here where there's more population mm-hmm. or higher pay or people that make more money, then they're going to go over here. Whereas if you drop the cost of wages, they'll be saying, you know, I can open a hamburger stand over here because I can pay a little bit less, give people entry-level jobs, and I can sell burgers in an area and people will come. I can afford to do it. Mm-hmm. And you get the economic engine going. And that's what makes America a great place because they're just free enterprise economic system. I do also, it's not always fair, <clears throat> but neither is government. I do also feel like um, bigger businesses are also a little bit to blame because when the economy is doing great, they don't make their product any cheaper for us. You know, their product still costs but the free, the But the free market does. <clears throat> the thing is, is that you name, you name a product and eventually somebody else comes with a better mousetrap or a cheaper mousetrap mm-hmm. or one that does better. So even though I, I don't like the fact that the iPhones keep, every time they release one, it goes up in price. Oh, of course yeah, it, But definitely. it has more features. Guess what? I have a choice whether I buy one or not or I buy an old one or I can get an off-brand or a third-party phone that can do a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. for half the money. And in, Unless- chi- and in China... They sell they sell phones for like two three hundred dollars that do a ton of features and eventually yeah. that kind of stuff's going to make it. Free enterprise is the great equalizer. It's not a matter of having government come in and dictate stuff. It's about because here's what big businesses do: is they come in and they get the government to allow them to have a monopoly. Mm-hmm. So then now it's not just big business; it's the government coming in and saying, "No, nope, you don't can't have any more players in this area." Or we're going to make. I'll give you a real simple example. There was a company. That was going to offer milk, a gallon of milk, 50 cents cheaper. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do it health-wise. They're going to do it according to standards, but they had a way to do it. Well, boy, did the milk lobby kick in, and they started calling their congressmen and senators. And uh, Senator Kyle, a Republican from, from Arizona, was on yeah. that committee, and along with a bunch of Democrats. <clears throat> and they came in and put so many regulations on that company, they couldn't sell milk for 50 cents less. Well, who, who, does, who does milk selling 50 cents less a gallon benefit? Most. It's the poor. Yeah. It's people who are poor because they spend a higher percentage of money on food. Same thing on energy because we have these truck tax cuts. Guess one of the things that's happened? Energy companies are paying less in taxes because they compete with each other. Energy costs have gone down. Uh So people go look at this big corporate tax cut, but actually it infiltrates down. (laughs) So, for example, people say, no, we should have 50% tax rates. Okay, so let me go through an example. Let's say you those dang doctors make so much money, so mm-hmm. we're going to tax them fifty percent of everything they make. Okay, so then you go in for a gallbladder surgery, and that doctor's fee is two thousand dollars, but he's going to pay fifty percent of that in taxes. Mm-hmm. So when the doctor gets his two thousand, he's going to take a thousand and he's going to give it to the government, right? That is the exact same thing as the doctor charging you a thousand dollars and there being a one hundred percent sales tax. Mm-hmm. He'd get his thousand and a thousand dollars goes over here. So a 50% income tax is actually a hidden 100% sales tax on you. So when you're raising taxes on people, it all gets, Al Gore even said, a high tax rate is actually a hidden sales tax. Yeah. So so what happens is when we get taxes low, 
it reverberates across the economy and stuff gets cheaper to do. And it broadens the bank. You want a broad base of taxpayers where everyone's paying, not where you have a few. Because, like, for example, in a place like Maryland, they uh, instigated a, uh, a millionaire tax, kind of like what Lyndon Warren's wanting to do. Yeah. And at that time, they had 3,000 millionaires living in the state of Maryland. When they instigated that tax within a few short years, you know how many millionaires they had at the at, within a few short years in Maryland? Hmm. 2,000. They lost 33% of their millionaires. They moved. But and they, and they, actually, the taxes, uh, the, the tax revenue dropped yeah. because of the yeah. millionaire tax. But if they made that world uh, U.S.-wide, where would those mean? Those okay, so you're going to do a wealth tax, okay? So here's what they've done in other European countries. They've done wealth taxes. Mm -hmm. They said, we're going to tax all your wealth, okay? Well, you own a Van Gogh, and you own a, um, you know, name another fa famous painter, a Monet. Mm -hmm. How are you going to value it? It's a priceless painting. Hey, but you're going to tax them on that? So guess what happens? Mm. They go, oh, you're going to tax them. We're not going to buy paintings. We'll buy land. Okay, we're going to tax your land. They buy less land. So eventually they say, okay, well, we're not going to tax paintings because we can't value them. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's an asset tax. We can't value them. So then guess what happens? They all start buying paintings. So it's the same thing like over in Europe. What they used to do is they used to come in and they used to tax people. So they all start buying products that you can't put a price on. Exactly. So and they'll move, they'll move their assets <laughs> to, the, to the right thing. So here's, so here's what happens. So uh, in, in Europe, what they used to do is they would tax you based upon the number of chimneys you had. Okay? So, so guess good. what they started doing? Building houses with? No chimneys. Fewer chimneys. Fewer chimneys. Then they started taxing you on the number of windows you have because obviously you're rich, you have more. So guess what they started doing? Building fewer windows. Mm -hmm. If you ever go to Log Cabin Village here in Fort Worth, they gathered cabins that people actually log cabins, people actually lived in in Collin County and around the areas and, 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 and all that. And one of the things you'll notice is no closets. And you're like, why is that? And they said, well, because they taxed them on the number of rooms. And if you had a closet that was counted as a room, you got taxed, it would be a two-room house. Mm -hmm. So you, you saw a real rare two-room log cabin, so they made the closets were always the corners. Then they could build a loft, but it wasn't closed off. So you could kind of have an open attic, and corners were the closets. Yeah. But it was all driven because of taxes. So anytime you try to drive tax, you think you're going to tax people, it's going to be real simple. It's not. So, okay, I, I don't know... The, I know there's something like a, I know there's a catch somewhere in there between Elizabeth Warren's two cent tax, uh -huh. wealth, wealth tax, wealth tax, her About two cent wealth yeah. tax. Uh, yeah. What, what do you see uh, as a problematic with that? Let's do this. Let's not tax wealth two percent. Let's take a hundred percent. Let's just take a hundred percent. You know how long you run the government if you take all the wealthy people's money? I mean, I think they can run it a year, half year. Mm -hmm. Now, guess what? They have no money. Mm -hmm. How do you think Bill Gates? Bill Gates basically fights malaria, and I think he's his organization with a few others has stopped polio from spreading in these third world countries. Yes, you know why? I've heard about that. You know why? It's his private money. Mm -hmm. He does. Guess what? If he didn't have that money, there'd be a bunch of people with polio, and people would have died of malaria. Would kill people. True, but you know they're not really Americans, so it doesn't matter. Oh wow, <laughs> that man, man. <laughs> So the thing is, is that yeah. people just, it's like, for example, look mm -hmm. at John Kerry. John Kerry ran for president in 2004. Yes. Okay, he's a senator from Massachusetts. Okay, <laughs> Massachusetts up there. But guess what? Hmm. Massachusetts has a boat tax. If you take your 65-foot luxury yacht sailboat yeah. and park it in Massachusetts, you pay a tax. Mm -hmm. If you have it parked in Rhode Island, it's less of a tax. 
Guess where John Kerry, a Massachusetts senator, had his boat parked? Pretty sure Rhode Island. It was Rhode Island. Yeah. His he, his wife is a multi because she's the Hines like Hines ketchup. Mm-hmm. He married he, he since she's married Senator Hines. He died. She had the wealth, so he married her. He became very wealthy. And I think his his uh, his tax rate was like thirteen percent or sixteen percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you try to tax wealth, it's going to move. You're just going to force it to move someplace else where it may not be as productive. Yeah, because they, they always find a loophole, right? Right, and they're going to try to hide it, and they're going to mm-hmm. try to try to try to hold on to it because it's their money. And so the thing is, when you lower tax rates, guess what? Economic activity starts happening. They start buying businesses, and they take a risk over here, and they do this, and they do risk capital, which means that they travel, which means they're doing hotels, they're going to, you know, they're ordering pizza, they're eating in restaurants, they're using the travel industry. Mm-hmm. That's where all the rest of us work. And so when yeah. the economic engine's going, it benefits all of us. But if you demonize these people, you start taxing them. Well, guess what? They stop spending less money. They start. They stop building less buildings. They stop doing less construction. They stop doing housing projects. And guess what? They're all going, hey, why is housing on? Why don't we have more housing? Why are there more jobs? Because the people who create the jobs, who take the risk to create the jobs, you're demonizing, you create an economic environment. That's why when Reagan dropped the tax rate from 70%, to 28%, mm-hmm. we had a huge economic boom. Even with only 220 million people in the country, or 200 million, or 180 million, yeah. we are creating, in 1983, they're creating like a million jobs a month. Hmm. A million a month. Because people had held on to money for so long, of a seven, and they were like, we dropped the rate, now we can start investing in real estate, and building this, and doing these businesses. And part of, the, of our computer boom, mm-hmm. that happened through the 80s, yeah. and then the 90s, and eventually they started being able to talk to each other, happened because of the venture capital the 80s because of the Reagan tax cuts. Mm. So people understand that that's why people try to get into this country mm-hmm. is because we have the greatest economic engine on earth and we have the greatest liberty and freedom that's ever existed. Of any. We can sit here and disagree, cuss at each other, be of different religious beliefs and all that. Mm-hmm. We both have that freedom. In other countries, we don't get that. No, we don't. Praise God out to that. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to end off with a joke. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, let me think about this. Okay, so a guy goes f- for the pearly gates, mm-hmm. and they're and and see Saint Peter, mm-hmm. and Peter's like, "What's your name?" The guy tells him the name, and he said, uh, "I don't see you on the list here." And he goes, "Well, what great work have you done?" And he said, "Oh, he goes, I tried to save a lady's purse from being stolen by a band of Hell's Angels bikers." Mm-hmm. Peter goes, "When did that happen?" He goes, "Oh, about three seconds ago." Hmm. I, where, where's the, what? You actually didn't get the punchline on that. He's not on the list. He uh-huh. said. He said, "How did you? You know, what yeah. great work have you done?" He said, "I tried to save a lady's purse from being stolen by a band of Hell's Angels bikers." And Peter said, "When did that occur?" And the guy goes, "About three seconds ago." He just died trying to save a lady's purse. Oh God, I've got to start with it. This is why. <laughs> You know why I don't find the, the joke in that? Because I, I, I'm not a religious person. Okay. But the only But you have a man bun. But the only that has nothing to do with anything. It's not a it's not a man halo. <clears throat> but the only thing that I truly believe that the only way I'll get into heaven with all the shit that I've done in my life, with all the fuck ups that I've done, is if I put myself my life uh, in, in ahead of somebody, not ahead of, but like for somebody else's. That's the only way I believe I'll get to. Oh, you mean helping somebody? Yeah, like if I put, if I, if I take a bullet for somebody. Okay. 
that's like the only See, loop. That's well, the only loophole that I can yeah, find. Here's the thing in. We're all hypocrites. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners. Mm-hmm. There's only one perfect man, and they crucified him. And he died. He was in the grave, surrounded by Roman soldiers on a guard on a tomb that was marked. Mm-hmm. And then he rose on the third day. And that perfect man, Christ, you accept him. There's forgiveness of sins and right standing before God. Not because I did anything mm-hmm. wrong, because of what he did right. Yeah, see, I don't believe it that easy. But it's it's, it's one. But here's the whole crux of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one thing we can argue churches and this guy and the tall hair and money and all that kind of things. Is did Christ raise from the dead? That's the crux of all Christianity. It comes down to that one event. Mm-hmm. Did he rise from the dead? Because he rose from the dead, then he died for your and my sins, mm-hmm. and he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Yeah. And we have we have mm-hmm. a ticket to heaven, and we can have heaven on earth, and we can be changed from the inside. And what do you think helped me stop drinking? Like I said, Christ, there's a change mm-hmm. from the inside out. I love drink. I love getting drunk. Mm-hmm. I actually love getting drunk. I didn't like the taste, but I love, but I, then I knew it was a problem. I said, God, if you'll help me, I'll never drink again. That's me. I'm not putting that on somebody else. And mm-hmm. you grab your wine again. I'm not going to take your wine. I'm not going to no, break no, your I'm bottle. Sure it's not the temperance guys. movement. And, uh, <laughs> kind of all that. So, yeah. So, so okay, I'm going to end off with another joke. This will be a political joke. All right. Then. Political all right. Political. So I had somebody come to me the other day, and he goes, you know what we ought to do in North Korea? Mm-hmm. We ought to bomb North Korea back to the Stone Age. I'm saying, what does that do? Send them back two, three weeks? <laughs> All right. Thank you for having me, Rudy. I appreciate it. No problem, Rob. Rob, Rob. I'm gonna end up with end up with a, end with a joke of mine. Um, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rob. It was really great having you on. Uh, we gotta do it again as soon as whenever you can. We, yeah. I know you're gonna be busy for a little while. Uh, I'll come up periodically. And we uh, we talked. You talked a lot, but I learned a lot, and also I feel like you know we. Got to know a little bit of each other about each other more. Well, and then okay, so here's what I want you to. Here's your here's your assignment. I'm if they're sponsoring, I, if they're I just, sponsoring I quit this, college. Okay, with I that. want you to find uh-huh. an item at Hempy's uh-huh. that I would not that I would approve of. That you would approve. That of. I would approve of. That's your job. I Next think, time I come I don't on, think that's I want you. Maybe it's a choice of three things. Uh-huh. But I want you to have an item you can actually buy at Hempy's uh-huh. that everybody's white dad uh-huh. would approve of. What about hemp flavored bubblegum? No. <laughs> Especially not for Halloween. Don't hand that out for Halloween. <laughs> oh, and with that, guys, oh, thank you very much for watching or listening, whichever one you're doing. Uh, don't forget to follow um, the Facebook, Greedy Ramsey, Instagram. Uh, it's still UNG Odyssey because I can't figure out how to change that. Uh, the Twitch live stream, it is Twitch. Dot TV forward slash Rudynomics podcast. Uh, Anchor app. You can find all my shit on there. And then Apple Podcasts and Google Cast and Spotify. And yeah. Apple Pod. I already said Apple Podcasts. Apple follow, follow us on that. and uh, Follow me on that. Just as long as we're not on like Whisper <coughs> and, and, and Tinder and that type of yeah, thing. No, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Like and thank that. you. Uh, thank you, Hempies, for being the sponsor. Uh <laughs> Hey, hey, I'll take any, not any sponsor, but, you know, something I can relate to. <laughs> Apparently, you will take any sponsor. You got hippies. Oh, Thank man. you for having me. No problem, dude. See you, you guys you're, again. You're pretty fucking awesome, dude.